Good morning, Gateway. Welcome to uh, Gateway Taze Valley. It's good to have each of you here. All of you here, you may be new. At my age, I'm not new anywhere. (laughs) But some of you might be new. I understand we do have some first-time visitors, some newer people with us. Thanks for coming. It's a busy season. We've made it to uh, to, to, to December. (laughs) We'll make it to January. We'll make it. But it's a frantic time of the year, isn't it? So much going on. There's meetings and shopping and dinners and, and engagements. And oh, by the way, there's also jobs to do. Uh, but thanks for taking time to come worship our holy, holy, holy God. Good to be here. Uh, we're starting a new message series, sermon series today. We finished with our old one today. We're starting a new one called Go Tell It on the Mountain. And uh, it, the first message in this series is go tell it on the mountain when God says yes. And we're going to look at uh, some of those Christmas angels and examine the messages that they brought when they came from heaven to earth. Today we're specifically looking at Luke chapter 1, at the story of the angel Gabriel meeting Zechariah in the temple and giving good news that seems too good to be true. Now we know something about news that's too good to be true. It just, it couldn't possibly be true. It sounds too good. We know something about that. Uh, And I love to tell the story, and so I do, and you've heard it, but I'm telling it anyway, about the old widower that went to the big city opera for the very first time, and he walked in and saw this gal on stage, and she had the most beautiful voice he had ever heard. She was singing like an angel, and it, he'd never heard anything like this before in his life. And he was so attracted to her voice that he looked her up after the performance. He proposed marriage. She said yes, and they were married that night. Now, I can't vouch for how true this story is. But kind of you're there with me. He proposed to her and and so they went to the hotel that night for their wedding night and she took off her makeup, took off her wig, she dug out her dentures, pulled off an artificial leg and this stunned, bug-eyed man, all he could say was, for heaven's sakes, sing, lady, sing! (laughs) Well, some things are just too good to be true. They just, they, they couldn't possibly be that true. Ever been on a blind date? I have. I know Joy has. That's where we met. And you might be surprised she didn't flee the state as soon as I walked in. But I channeled my inner Tom Selleck. And it's been great ever since. But, uh, but we, know, we know that old adage, don't we, the buyer beware. We know about that. If something sounds too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. We know about that. Uh, buyer beware. But this, this first Christmas angel that brought good news to the temple to Zechariah, it just sounded too good to be true. But, and we're going to look at that in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. Uh, And we're going to go piece by piece, but looking first at verses uh, 5 through 7. And this is the recorded word. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the uh, priestly division of Abijah. 
And his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless. Because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Skipping down to verses 12 and 13, we find this. When Zechariah saw him, meaning the angel, he was startled and gripped with fear, but the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. We find Zechariah's response down in verse 18 through 21. And Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. But the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true. At their appointed time. So here's the first lesson that Zechariah learned and wants to teach to us. When anything sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Unless God is in it. Because almost, uh, almost everything that God does sounds too good to be true. And that's what Zechariah momentarily forgot. You see, from the very beginning of our knowledge of God... He just says the word, and the whole world comes into existence. The sun, the moon, the stars, it sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? The earth, the sky, uh, the, the water, the plants, the animals, the whole kit and caboodle comes into existence simply by God saying, let there be. And there was whatever God commanded there to be. It was only when he created man and woman that he started with anything other than the spoken word. Guys, now, here's how we began. Here's the, the origin account of the creation of man. This is in Genesis 2.7. The, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Now, you might have some outstanding DNA, some great genes... Fellas, you may be able to trace your lineage back through Tom Selleck, <laughs> Tom Edison, Tom Jefferson, Hammurabi. You may be able to trace your genes back or your DNA through some great stuff. But let me tell you, your ultimate beginning was in a little dab of dirt. And ladies, it's not quite the same for you. But God gives us the record of how He created woman, and this is on down. In that same chapter of Genesis 2, 20 and 21 verses, we read this. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, He made into a woman. But everything else, which was Pretty much everything, God simply spoke and it came into existence. Now I know that sounds too good to be true. And there are some who say, that's too much to believe. Too big a tale to swallow. But that's the Bible record. And that's what we believe. 
But somehow there are those that says that can't be true. And they propose an alternative. And that alternative says instead of God creating, instead of creation coming from nothing, everything came from something without any definition or any explanation of where this something came from. And that with enough passage of time and enough luck, that it all just kind of wove itself together to be this perfectly, beautifully created, well-designed world. Now, the old man Zechariah believed in an option one, not an option two world. And the option one is that God created it all simply by saying the word. And then he created the first man and the first woman beginning with a speck of dust and a bit of bone. And I know that's not what's being taught in our schools today, but that's what most of us in this room believe. And that's what Zechariah believed too, that God could do anything he wanted to do, even answering the prayers of an old priest and a barren wife. So why then when Gabriel, the angel, came from heaven to give him this message, why didn't Zechariah believe it immediately and completely? After all, he was a Jewish priest. He, had, he, he knew and had believed and, and, and did believe the stories of, of, of Abraham and Sarah. He not only knew them, he taught them. Here was Abraham at 100 years of age and his wife Sarah at 90. And God gave them a brand spanking new baby at that age. He knew that. Zechariah knew about Rachel and Leah and Hannah, how they had all prayed for God to open their wombs and allow them to have children, and God honored their prayers. So why couldn't Zechariah believe it when the angel gave him such a clear message? Let's look again at the 13th verse of Luke 1. And the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. I mean, that meaning is pretty clear. You can't hardly confuse what Gabriel is saying to Zechariah, but he just didn't quite grab onto it. Maybe it was because it sounded too good to be true. But after so many years and so many prayers, it just seemed highly improbable. To Zechariah at this stage in his life that God was going to answer in a positive way that prayer for a child. But what Zechariah was about to learn was that anything, even if it's highly improbable, is not only possible, but it's highly probable when God is in it. Especially when our agenda fits his. And that's the second truth that Zechariah learned from the angel Gabriel. When our agenda aligns with his or fits his, we really shouldn't be surprised when God says yes. Now, sometimes God does say no. We know that. And we need to be very, very careful here with that because there are people that you know, maybe even people in this room, who are praying just as desperately for the same thing that Zechariah and Hannah 
had been praying for for all those years. But for some reason, for you, God's answer is different. God wants something different. God does something different with your prayers than He did theirs. And I hope you hear this. It could be that God is not wanting to do just something different with your prayers. He's wanting to do something better with your prayers. It could be better in the way He handles His prayer. And let me, your prayers, and let me explain it like this. Maybe, maybe this will help. A man named Jack Cottrell. You may have heard of Jack Cottrell. He was a New Testament theology professor at Cincinnati Christian Seminary for 48 years. You may have read some of his books. You may have heard him preach. You may have attended some of his classes. I don't know, but 48 years. Cincinnati Christian Seminary. He had advanced degrees from Cincinnati Christian University, University of Cincinnati, Princeton Theological Seminary, Westminster Theological Seminary. And over those 48 years, he taught thousands upon thousands of ministry students how to lead churches, how to encourage Christians, how to preach a theologically sound message. He wrote 43 books. He put together... Uh, a lot of articles and essays and many of his writings are in multiple languages used in college uh, uh, universities, used in seminaries to train preachers, just to bless the kingdom of God. Jack Cottrell was sought as a, as a spe- guest speaker, convention speaker, uh, lecturer in our universities, guest lecturer, and just to be a part of uh, God's kingdom all across mission field after mission field as he traveled to those remote areas. He passed away in September after a long battle with cancer. And as the cancer increased, his traveling virtually stopped. But he didn't stop writing. He kept writing, encouraging Christians on their walk with Christ. But after he had exhausted, all all medical treatments had been exhausted. All, All options had been exhausted. That's when I think he wrote his most significant an insightful statement. Because it was at this weak last stage of life, Jack Cottrell wrote this. When we're facing death in this fallen world, it is okay to pray for healing and extension of life. He calls that praying for plan A. This is plan A. It's, it's, it's okay to pray for extension of life and wellness. But remember that if God chooses not to answer those prayers, He has a plan A plus for your life. I love that. And then He supported that thought, that statement with Scripture as He always did. In Romans 8.18, Paul writes this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And then in verse 23, Paul continues this, Thus we are waiting eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. Plan A+. Now some of us need to remember that when God is saying no to our plan A, it may mean that He's saying no to our plan A prayers, but He has something better for us in mind, an A plus 
Instead, now, such was not the case for Zechariah. I mean, he was praying in the temple. His wife was still praying at home. And they were praying plan A for their life for this child. He was praying for plan A. He was praying it for himself and for his wife. But it seems kind of like Zechariah had given up the possibility that it was going to happen. But it was going to happen. This child, this son was going to be born, not because of Zechariah's amazing faith, but because God wanted it to happen. God had promised that it would happen. He had prophesied about this 400 years. Before it happened, God said this was going to happen. Look at this. In in the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, Chapter 3, verse 1, we have this prophecy. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. That next chapter, Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6, the prophecy continues. He said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now, just as Moses was representative of the law, Elijah was representative of the prophets. And so Malachi is saying that one in the order of Elijah the prophet is coming... And he will turn the hearts of the father to the children, and the hearts of the children to the father, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. And that period, at the end of that sentence, is the very last portion of the Old Testament. We have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, on and on and on, through Malachi, and we have this verse, and the period at the end, and then there are four Hundred years of silence. Well, we have no clue as to what God is thinking. We don't know what God is doing. But we can imagine that during this 400 years, there are couples, many couples, praying for a child. And maybe some of those prayers were answered, but not the prophesied child, because it wasn't time for that until we get to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. And this is what Paul writes there. But when the fullness of time had come and God was ready, God sent forth His Son. Finally, the time was right. And it was time for God's Son to come, but not before that forerunner, not before the messenger, the one that Isaiah wrote about in Isaiah 40 and verse 3, where he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. But wouldn't you know it? This one who was prophesied, this one who was to come, this one who would lead the way for Jesus to come, and now it was the fullness of time, and all that was waiting... All that needed to be done was this toothless priest in the temple and a barren old woman at home praying their hearts out for a child. Is it any wonder that God answered their prayers? You see, God had been waiting for that couple 
to pray those prayers. God had planned for this elderly couple hundreds of years before and prophesied that it would happen, that they would pray for this child. And now, that's what I call long-term planning. Long-term planning. Now, we know a little bit about that too. A little over 20 years ago, just 20 years ago, Oxford University in Oxford, England, one of their dining halls has these big oak historical building, as you can imagine, historical campus. Uh, these big oak beams in their dining hall. And they had just about lived their life. They were beginning to show signs of, you know, compromise. And the school administrators thought, where in the world are we going to find lumber big enough and strong enough to take the place of those beams? Well, the university forester, I love this, set their minds at ease by explaining to them when this dining hall was built... 500 years ago, the architects also planted an oak grove. And they did it so that they could replace the old beams with, new, with these new beams, with these new materials, when the time was right. I think that's incredible. It boggles my mind how anyone can plan that far ahead. But God planned that far ahead. And even more. And even more. And now all that was left. Time was right. Jesus was ready to come. And all that was left. Was for one elderly couple. To begin praying for a child. Can't you, can't you just picture George Papard of the A-team. Leaning back with his cigar. And saying don't you just love it when a plan Comes together. Don't you love that? I can just hear it. Uh, that's what the best prayers are. The best prayers are when our agenda aligns with God's agenda. That's when things really start to happen. E. Stanley Jones, a preacher of days gone by, used, used to kind of illustrate it like this. If I'm in a boat and I throw a boat hook to shore, and then I pull... Am I pulling the shore to me? Or am I pulling my boat to the shore? And then he would say this. He'd say, that's when the best prayers are. Prayers are not pulling God to my will. But prayers are the realignment of my will to the will of God. And that's how Jesus taught His disciples to pray. Uh, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the way Jesus prayed. You know, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Aligning our will to His, because when His will, or when our agenda rather fits His agenda, why wouldn't God say yes? Why wouldn't He say yes? And that's the third lesson that Zechariah learned. When God says yes... It's best to get on board with Him. It's best to believe Him and to get on board with Him. And that's the last lesson he learned. And that was a hard one for Zechariah because he didn't learn it himself at first. He paid the price. He didn't believe it. He didn't believe God's message. And so for nine months, he couldn't speak. Couldn't say a word. Uh, that had to be tough on him. I mean, you know what it's like. You, you just... 
You can't wait to see your wife after a hard day of work and, and just say, Honey, you're more beautiful now than you were the day we married. Zechariah couldn't say that. And after a nice meal at home, you know, he was wanting to say, Honey, that's the best broccoli salad I've ever had in all of my life. But he couldn't say it. Now, this morning in the first service, I asked the ladies, wouldn't that be hard? Now, I'm not going to ask you. I'm not going to do that again. The first service, I asked, now, ladies, that would probably be hard for you, wouldn't it, if your husband couldn't talk to you for nine months? And I was shocked. So don't shock me. At my age, you just don't want to do that. Uh, but, but for nine months, he couldn't, Zachariah couldn't say a word. But that old guy, Zachariah, may have been struck speechless, but he wasn't struck dumb. He knew exactly what he was going to do when he punched out from his shift at the temple. He was going to rush right home and get on board with God's agenda. And with two toothless grins, Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayers were answered. And that very first Christmas began. Now that's the Christmas message from the angel in Luke 1, beginning with news that sounded so incredible, too good to be true. But it ended with Zechariah and Elizabeth placing their lives more completely, totally in the hands of God. What better place could they be? And what better place could we be than in the hands of God? So let's just step back for a moment and ask ourselves, just ask us, whose life, whose hands have I placed my life in? Have I really aligned my will with the will of God? Because you see, God is inviting us to join Him, not just in our prayers, but in our practice, in, in praying, believing, and living that Jesus truly, truly is Lord, is Lord. And joining with these Christmas angels in their assignment to go tell it on a mountain that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, Jesus is God's plan A triple plus for our life. Not just for our life, but for the whole world. And He's calling all of us to be totally in His hands that He can shout it from the mountaintop for, for the Christians, for us to make it known to all the world. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Will you pray with me please? Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, we thank you for your power. And your power is so awesome. It just seems impossible that you can do what, you can, that you can do what you've done. Lord, it just seems too good to be true that you will do what you have said. But we believe you, we trust you, and we know your promise that if we come to you in faith, and we come to you in obedience and trust, that you will take the old man and replace that old man with a brand new man, a new heart, a new spirit, a new destination. Lord, we invite you today to have your will in our life, and we pray that if there are those this morning who need to place their life more centered in You, more focused on the cross 
maybe with uh, additional steps or maybe a first step. Lord, we pray that you will lead them even this morning to obedience and a new beginning in you. Lord, that's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we all need a Savior. We need someone who can redeem us, to wash us, to separate us from our sins. And the only way we can fully appreciate and experience God's gift is by uh, placing our faith and our trust in His design plan, His Son, the Redeemer of all the world. This morning, if you want to talk about your next steps of faith, uh, if, you, if you want prayer this morning, I'd be glad to pray with you. I'll be up here to your left. And if you have any decision that you want to make publicly this morning, and we invite you to do that. We ask that you do that as we stand and sing our final song.